Um, but today we're starting a new series. And I wondered where to go next. We've been digging around. We've looked at the Gospel of Thomas. We've looked at the Gospel of Mary and the Gospel of Truth. All of these texts are found in that Gnostic Bible I've been sharing. You know, the Gnostic Bible has texts in it that were added that were not included in the Bible. I've actually, our pulpit Bible here has, a, I turned it to a page right here where it says, the Song of the Three Holy Children. You won't find that in your Bible. It's because depending on the tradition, that's what books you'll have. That's what the community accepted. So we're, we're an open tradition. We're a tradition that wants to learn. We're a tradition that wants to hear the whole story. We, we don't want anybody to tell us who Jesus is. We want to experience who Jesus is ourselves. So I looked where we should go, which, which text should we dive into now? I don't want to stop the flow. Everybody's been liking studying these books. But so I came across a book found in the Gnostic Bible and in our church pew Bibles. The Gospel of John. Have you heard of it? You've heard of this. Everybody's heard of that. In seminary, we call the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are the synoptic Gospels. They are not exactly the same, but they carry a certain harmony. They give a certain biographical sketch of the Jesus we traditionally have come to know. But the Gospel of John, if you read it, it follows a different beat, a different tune. It's telling us something different about Jesus. Something about Jesus that feels more intimate and does what Gnostic texts also do. They try to invite us behind the curtain of Scripture into, a, into deeper and more applicable everyday meanings. Elaine Pagels writes in her book, the Johannine Gospel in Gnostic Exegesis, based on her Harvard dissertation about the Gnostic Valentinian perspective in Scripture. She writes, Gnostic theologians do not necessarily deny that the events proclaimed of Jesus have occurred in history. What they deny is that the actuality of these events mattered theologically. Did they matter theologically? Heracleon, a Valentinian Christian back then, claims, for example, that those who insist that Jesus, a man who lived in the flesh, who is Christ, but those who fail to distinguish between the literal and symbolic truth, those who write accounts of Revelation as alleged biographies of Jesus of Nazareth, or even of Jesus as Messiah, focus on mere historical events, externals, and miss the inner truth they signify. Here she's basically saying that to just look at the surface of Scripture is to miss what's going on underneath the Scripture. As a dad, as a parent, I'm used to forever having Disney movies playing in the background. 
at our home. We're always on. It's either Elsa singing, let it go, Aladdin and Jasmine riding on a magic carpet ride as they imagine a whole new world, Simba singing how he's one day going to be a mighty king, Pocahontas singing that until we paint with all the colors of the wind, we won't be able to hear what life is speaking to us just around the river bend. I think I've involuntarily seen these movies thousands of times. But every now and then, when I'm putting the kids to bed, snuggling with them after a long day at work, or if I just plop down on the couch and I'm too lazy to get back up, I just sit and watch what's on the TV. And it's in those moments, I'm watching those Disney movies, that I watch, and I can hear something behind those stories. On the surface, the movie is just a movie. It's just that. But if I listen to the story, if I hear what it is saying about life, that's when a tear might form under this eye of mine. Toy Story 3 always gets me. I'm quick to wipe that tear away, but... That tear signifies something. That there's something behind these stories. Something meaningful. It's not like I want to cry. Just watching it stirs something in me. What is that? This often happens to me when I read the Bible. In the past, I've just read it. I've just come to church and heard it as I do in my home. It's always there, in front of us, right here, or in the background. But with the Valentinian perspective, the Gnostics we've been studying, what it's taught me is that there's something about just sitting there and meditating on a passage to hearing what is being said underneath the story. And like a kaleidoscope, with just one turn, Just one shift in my perspective. Picture of scripture transforms before my eyes, like the movie. And my mind takes something as plain as day, as silly as a cartoon, and turns it into something I can meaningfully use. Something that's deep inside of me. Stirs it. Just like those Disney movies cost millions to make, these simple ancient texts that we found cost thousands of years to make. And they're telling us stories on many different levels for people of all ages. And we're taught in seminary how to interpret the Bible. You look at the text, the context, the background, the original language, similar passages, the surrounding passages. We check the little number of references in the margins. We check the footnotes, the characters in the story. And then you grab your scholarly commentary just to make sure you're interpreting it right. No wonder people have a hard time reading the Bible for themselves. Do you go through this every time you read the Bible? Who does this when they read any book? Watch a Disney movie. And who doubts 
Who doubts what they're reading? Who doubts what the Holy Spirit is speaking to them? This is why the Valentinian approach is helpful. It also shows why the early Orthodox Church had problems with leaving the interpretation of Scripture to the average person and why they put that authority, the authority to interpret Scripture, into the hands of priests and religious scholars for thousands of years. It's relatively new that we're reading the Bible. Just 500 years ago, I think they killed the guy who first translated into common English. Not just, we're mad at him. Wyclef, I think his name was. Not Wyclef, John. John Wyclef. These days, I'm finding myself guided by the work of scholars to undo this authority, this grip from orthodoxy, simply because it's not made by God. It's made by men. A lot of men who wouldn't even let any, of a, any woman be a pastor. Any woman even speak in church. See, we're, we're continuing this evolution. These scholars are going back and shedding light on how early Christianity really unfold, unfolded. And I'm learning that there was, as there always seems to be, a lot of politicking behind the scenes, lobbying for how much and how little of the truth we, the average people, should be allowed access to. If you'd like to learn more about this way of reading scripture, you can check out Elaine Pagel's The Johannine Gospels in Gnostic Exegesis. It's about 20 bucks on Amazon. I quoted her earlier. And this is the book that lays out. If you really want to, to look at it in depth, you can get that book. But for today, like I said, we're going to begin a new series in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to walk you through my own Valentinian interpretation of a passage found in John. One everyone knows, so you don't even need your Bible to follow along. That's helpful, right? It's the passage you see on cars, t-shirts, even on football players' faces. John chapter 3, verse 16. We can almost all recite it. You don't even, I think even non-Christians know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that anyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Again, it says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus comes into the world from where? Where does he come from? He comes from God. God who is somewhere out there, somewhere with the fire trucks. I hope God is with those fire trucks. But God sends Jesus from somewhere out there or somewhere in here. But it's clear that Jesus comes from an unseen place, a heavenly place, a perfect place, an ideal place, a place concealed from us, right? Because we can't see God for some reason. 
The story of Scripture tells us that God doesn't want to remain hidden from us. God wants us to know who he is and what heaven is. But there seems to be some kind of training, like an orientation, that, we, that needs to take place before we get there, before we see God. So God has us here to learn, to prepare us for life in that kingdom. And if anyone wants to be trained, if anyone wants to learn, they'll first need what? A teacher, a guide. And so God sends us part of himself, his son, into a virgin spirit named Mary, who will raise a child to become God's ambassador, God's divine revealer. And he will train us not to just be disciples, he will train us for immortality, for eternal life. Yeah, that's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. My parents believed in school. Otherwise, they wouldn't have sent me there every day. They believed that school would teach and train me for life. In where? Another world. They believed it would prepare me to move from one stage, from childhood, one life, into adulthood, another life. In school, I was a student, but one day I would be transformed into an adult. All those years of study, all those years of socialization, all those years of passing through many grades and levels would eventually prepare me for my own life. Through this process, I would gain the knowledge. Gnosis in Greek means knowledge. I would gain the gnosis. I would gain the knowledge of how to live on my own, how to live by myself. For all those years, even when I didn't believe in school, my parents believed in it and made sure I attended. And now I'm looking back and I'm grateful that they believed in school. But the process was more than just believing. Right? They believed in it, but they acted on it. Their belief required my daily active participation, their active participation, all of my teachers and all of the administration's active participation. Together, they formed me and all my classmates so that one day we graduated, we moved on. That's the, those words sound similar, right? We say when somebody dies, they moved on. They passed away. Don't we say the same thing about kids? They moved on. They passed, right? They passed to the next stage. Into what? A new life. That's what, you, that's what the Bible's saying, the same thing. This is the meaning, at least it is for me, behind this simple passage of Scripture we see everywhere that we all have come to love and know. That God so loved the world that he sent his son to, we always say he died. Right? That's the easiest. We're going to die no matter what. What Jesus came to do was teach and guide us. See, if we just say he died, then it takes away the most important part of what he came to do. Oh, he died and he's going to 
pull me in, he's going to pass me through all the grades so I don't have to do it myself. That sounds like a kid made that story up. <laughs> what he wants us to do is see that he came, most importantly, to teach and guide us, to show us what this life is. That's why God sent his son. We've learned this in the last series on the gospel of truth, that this life is a kind of preparatory school. That those who believe it is, who know what God is doing in this world, they see the purpose as to why we go through life in all the stages. All its grades and levels. Right? Every grade is hard. You don't just stay in one grade. You have to move on. And that requires what? You to change. And what do human beings hate the most? Change. From the childhood to the teenage years, from the 20s to the 30s, to the 30s, to the 40s, to the 40s, to the 50s, from midlife to the senior years, from the single life to the married life, from, par from parents to grandparents, from interns to senior managers, from janitors to supervisors, do you see a pattern here? There's a development, a growth going. It's all around us. Can't deny it. It's in everything. And it's easy to get caught up in the days and years as a student. You remember some of those days were hard. But when you look back at it, you can clearly see it was just a stage, like a memory. A moment in time. And what did it do? It taught you hard and valuable lessons. There's good memories there too. So God sent his son to reveal the nature of all of this to, of all of this, all of this to us. That's why God sent Jesus. That life is a preparatory stage for the eternal life. It's a process. You don't just get eternal life. You don't just get a diploma. You just don't get a promotion. You grow into it. You get prepared for it. And schools are prepared for all kinds of kids, all different types. They allow for the repeating of grades. You see that some people get stuck. They allow for individualized education plans. My son has special needs. Some kids need some extra help. For everyone, everyone has to get through the basics at some point. God sent his son to do this work. This is why Jesus came to, to earth. So if anybody says he came to die for your sins, he came to teach us so that we would grow out of our sins. Doesn't that sound like a parent, what a parent would do? All the other reasons are made up. To take the burden of responsibility off of us. So now that we can interpret this passage more clearly, we now must ask, what did Christ, what did our teacher and guide do that I can do also? For that was Christ's nature to teach so that we may learn and do. What did they call him? Rabbi, Rabboni, teacher. 
As Christians, we're called to mature. When Paul went to one of the churches, he got so mad. He goes, you're still at this level? He said, I want to give you meat, but I just have to give you milk. How many churches would he be saying the same thing? He said, you haven't even moved on from the basic elementary teachings. What he's really saying is, you're just seeing the surface. Jesus' life has way more to teach you. Once we stop believing that just Jesus, just Jesus is the only son and the only teacher, John 1.12, two chapters before it, chapter 3, here's a quote from Scripture. To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the power to become what? Children of God. What do you call a son and a daughter? Children. Jesus didn't just come into the world to live as the only teacher and guide. That would be the worst plan from God. What Jesus did is he taught people to see that they too were children of God. Sons and daughters who could do the same work as he was doing. To continue the work of being teachers and guides. Remember Jesus said one time, he goes, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What he's really saying is, hey, stop sitting on the sidelines and watching me teach and guide. Learn to teach and guide so I can go back to heaven to my pool house and chill and relax. <laughs> it's hot down here in Israel. See, what advanced students do, those who get what's going on in this life as Christians, as spiritual people, they are called to do the same work that the Son of God did himself. They're called to be mentors, disciple makers. Remember Matthew 28? It says, go into all the world and make disciples. Don't just build churches and hope people come here. That, we can't do that. That's not what this is all about. Jesus says, go into the world. Jesus didn't wait at his temple or synagogue or church for people to come. He went on tour and brought the message. That's what we're doing. We're bringing the message to people. Because what? We're ambassadors of the heavenly realms, just like Christ was. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, God has given us the task. Who's he writing to? A church. He's given us the task of telling everyone what Christ is doing. We're Christ's representatives. We represent Christ. When Ashley and I got married, just when we just got married, we met a retired couple, Joe and Diane. Joe was a retired Sikorsky engineer, and he mentored young Christian men at UConn. He and his wife would mentor couples. They invited us over for dinner. The first time I met him, come over for dinner. They invited us both over for dinner, often. And we would just sit with them, share life, 
share our joys as a young couple. We'd share our troubles as a new couple. And these two wise seniors who had lived life together, who had been through all of the stages of life, most of them, who had their own ups, their own downs. As we ate chicken, potatoes, and green beans, they would laugh with us, cry with us, encouraged us when we couldn't get along. You know, Ashley was very hard to live with. I'm just kidding. <laughs> She'll tell another sermon when we're up here. But they would encourage us. Oh, you're fighting? Oh, welcome. You're, you're married. That happens. They told us God loved us when we felt like we were failing. And they rooted for us every step of the way. These are, these are not my parents, not my grandparents. They're retired. I didn't pay them. Just a couple of Christians that invited us over for dinner. They attended my ordination. They've come to Evensong when we did it at the coffee shop that time. And though I see them less these days, I can't think of people I quote more often. People have shaped my life, my marriage, and my understanding that life very much is a place of learning. They did this for no cost. They never pressured or bothered Ashley and I to come. They simply invited us over. Two older people who followed in the steps of Christ. So they, they just didn't come to church. They didn't just see Jesus as the only teacher. Two older people, when they were done working in this life for themselves, started guiding and teaching two young Christians how to get through life's ups and downs together. I never met Jesus, but I met his Christians, his mature disciples, in Joe and Diane. They never invited me to church. <laughs> they invited me to their house. God sent his only son, that's true. But it was to make many more sons and many more daughters. And anyone who believes that this is true, well, then today you will find many more of God's children in this world than just a one and only. When we believe when we become not just living beings around for X amount of years, waiting to retire, when we see that we are called to take up the ministry of helping people through the many stages of life, we then, so here's the magic, then you'll go from being retired, from just doing one thing in you'll be transformed in the inkling of an eye. You'll become a spiritual being who's on their way to living for eternity. 
when we believe in God and in the sending of his Son. We will see that life is a school to prepare us for that eternity, the one just around the river bend, Pocahontas saying, that once we stop holding on to archaic ways of thinking and simply let it go, then that whole new world where we're going to be mighty kings and queens, the Bible says, who now know how to reign with Christ. All of those movies and all these stories will not just become, not just be fiction. They'll become a reality. In the meantime, to those of us who want to help the world, when we believe, we will do as Christ did. John 2.26 says, show me your faith. Show me your deeds. Show me your life. Faith without deeds is dead. That's what James says, the brother of Jesus. He knew. (laughs) He knew what Jesus was teaching. When we, when we believe, we will do as Christ did. Remember, that's not evangelizing. Come to church, come to church, believe in Jesus. That's saying, come if you want. If you'd like, come over for dinner, or I'll come over to your house. Tell me about yourself. Sure, there's something. Especially for the older people. Older people who did just as Christ did. Joe and Diane, they did it on behalf of Christ because they were God's ambassadors too, just like we are. I want to encourage you all to look at Scripture this week or just watch a movie. But listen, listen to what is being said under the surface. That's a good practice, under the story. Because wherever you look, you can find a message underneath. A message that's trying to teach you something. And if you're so bold, you think that you are wise and ready, find someone younger than you. Christ says, just invite them. If they say no, dust your sandals off, move on. Find someone younger than you and invite them over for lunch or dinner. Share what you've learned from this life. Good or bad, it's going to be valuable lessons. (laughs) Let them share what they're learning. You might have some valuable tips to help guide them along the way, along this long journey towards eternal life.